in the twenty first century a weapon will be invented like no other this weapon will be powerful versatile and indestructible it can't be reasoned with it can't be bargained with it will feel no pity no remorse no pain no fear it will have only one purpose to return to the present and prevent the future this weapon will be called welcome to the 16th episode of zero hour strikes the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event, Zero Hour Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, every Zero issue, eventually. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bess. And in this episode, we take a look at Action Comics number 703, Team Titans number 24, and Damage number 6. Bit of a hodgepodge of books, but we're nearing Zero Hour number 0. Bess, I hope you had a good Christmas, even though we can't know for sure, given that we're recording this beforehand, <laughs> but the episode will drop. Uh, afterhand. Well, you know what? I think Christmas is going to be great, even though this is a COVID Christmas. That sounds like a Hallmark movie. A it COVID does. Christmas. It's a, it's a COVID Christmas. And you know what? It's fine because uh, we have comic books. We have podcasts. So uh, staying inside and not seeing anybody kind of sounds nice. Well, good. Of course, I have no family. You've got a, you've got a kid, so you get to... <laughs> No, I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. He is excited because he just found out that he has the Lego Millennium Falcon for Christmas. Oh, okay. my God. You built it, and it's a, so it's wrapped just as the object, and you, you can tell that it can't be anything other than the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> no, no. He, he actually opened a uh, early Christmas present at his mom's, and he called me up and said, Dad, we're going to build this together. <laughs> Awesome. So, oh yeah, it was awesome. I'm a person alone. Yeah, for my COVID Christmas is uh, <laughs> probably going to go downstairs to my neighbors who uh, uh, people at the Fire and Water Network might have heard. She was in charge of the table read on the yes. Star Trek show and uh, she'll be on another Star Trek show in the new year. Probably go downstairs, have some hors d'oeuvres and that's going to be it. I am uh, babysitting a cat for Christmas and that's my Christmas gift to myself. Oh, nice. <laughs> Shotguns. From Ohadmore Nazi. It's a big family here on this side of the border. Yeah, big time. Let's start with Action Comics, Bass. Uh, we've talked about Superman plenty, and this is his fourth zero-hour tie-in. He's met the many Batman, uh, his Kryptonian parents, and the Alpha Centurion. So what's next? Should we dive into the synopsis right away? Let's do it. Action Comics number 703 is by David Michelini, Jackson Geis, and Dennis Rodier. It is called Chronocide. It takes place in between Zero Hour number two and one. Superman fights Starro from a timeline where it defeated the Justice League, and he stuns it. Then he goes to work. Of course, why not? Middle of a crisis. Uh, and he sees Perry White disappear before his eyes. Time is still being consumed at both ends, and the uh, oldest are being wiped from history first. Fearing for Ma and Pa, he heads for Smallville, but finds himself in an alternate timeline where the Kents found baby Kal-El in the 1940s, dead. Dr. Emmett Vale stole the rocket and left a child to die, and they mean to prove it. At first, subdued by the kryptonite the Kents had in the back of their truck, Clark eventually hits Vale's place, though he finds the young Kents can take care of themselves. Vale, a crazy UFO nut, plans to use the Kryptonian tech to open a gateway to another world that has all the weapons he needs to fight aliens. 
And judging from the figures of the elderly Ma and Pa running towards the door, that's our world. Superman defeats Vale and his robots and tries to save his parents, but he's drawn into the time stream by Leary Lee of the Linear Men, who takes him back to the Zero Hour event. Meanwhile, as Metropolis vanishes, Lois tells Clark, wherever he may be, that she loves him. (laughs) That white at that moment kind of got to me. It was one of the better moments for that. I would agree. I think it has the most white pages of any zero hour issue. It's like four. If you count the one where the the panels are kind of fading, there are four white pages pages in this story and it doesn't mean that there aren't like the the normal 20 so pages of story uh, but they really laid it on thick with the the white pages in this case oh yeah kind of feels like it's too much but then again i flipped through them going is there anything else is there anything else and there was nothing nope let's talk about the cover because the white starts there really there's like half of the uh, no more than half of the cover is the white wave And uh, it's like you had Lois in the white kind of disappearing and Superman flying away from it. You know, I haven't been really, I wouldn't say impressed, but I, I, my mind wasn't blown by most of the, uh, the covers. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I'll tell you what the problem is. It looks like Lois is throwing Superman. Yeah. (laughs) Strange poses in this case from Jackson Geis. Anyway, and it says nothing left to lose. And it has nothing to do with the actual story, really. It's like he's leaving Lois behind, but the story itself is a Smallville story. It's an alternate universe where baby Kal-El did not survive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something different. I do love the beginning, uh, the first page, the soldier's eye view on page one, which gives Starro some scale. And it's also like, how absurd is this threat? Yeah. Actually, yeah, I really did. Because I did enjoy the comic. I did enjoy the whole, you know, this is a starting off with an older, weird, you know, supervillain Starro. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah, I did really enjoy this first part. Well, I enjoyed everything about this comic, really. But we'll get into that. Okay. To give some people some context, who is Emmett Vale? Uh, in the Burn timeline and like the post-crisis Superman timeline, Emmett Vale is the guy who stole kal rocket. And he used the kryptonite inside to build Metallo. So his story was told in like Superman volume two, number one. But he'd been seen in the Man of Steel's miniseries as well. So this is a what if in a way. What Mm -hmm. if he'd use the rocket for different purposes? It's also like kind of retro because we've seen the Kents in the 40s, you know, like in Superboy comics and that kind of stuff. So that look is not, um, you know, unimaginable. How did you feel? I mean, this is the second story that goes back to the third, really, because the Superboy issue was like that as well. But the second Superman story to go back to the farm uh, that has to, to deal with alternate versions of Clark's parents how did you think this one you know, rated? The whole what if part gave us a different take on the Kents. So that was kind of fun. The younger Kents, well, they didn't raise Superboy or, or Superman. They they found a dead kid, you know, so uh, everything is different. I, I really kind of enjoyed that. It was completely different. And you had the, you know, the, the tender, kind older Kents also in there that Superman really tries to save. I really need us to go back to Metropolis for a second there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause I have an issue with the t-shirt that Jimmy Olsen is wearing a sleeveless crop top belly button, nine inch nails t-shirt. 
the hell's going on? <laughs> well, this nobody is, had that. I don't know, but I, I mean, in this era, we we saw it. Like he had like a girlfriend who was uh, in a band. I was also a vampire or something. I mean, I mean, for I mean, I was all into this story and everything, and all of a sudden, I see Jimmy Olsen yeah. in a crop top. A nine-inch nails crop top, and I was like, "Who does, did this even exist? What the hell was going on?" And then Perry White disappears. So I, you know, I'm 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 going all over the place in here. And then we rush to Smallville because older people are disappearing. I, I kind of found that weird. You know, we've seen it. You know, we, we've seen like Vandal Savage and like the people that were born in prehistory and are still alive disappearing, but we haven't seen like the JSA disappear. No, we didn't. And they're yeah. older than the Kents or it's like it's not consistent across well, all of DC Comics. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that with all of this story from from the start to right now. We don't really know how this all works. And it kind of feels like every writer is making it work like he wants it to work. And this is also one of those moments. But I really dug the fact that we dabbled into a, an alternate reality that we didn't really know. The dead Superman world, why would we know about this one? And, you know, seeing Martha Kent with a shotgun and, you know, Pa Kent tying his Superman up. For a second, I thought maybe we were, we were on like another Earth where everything good was evil. But no, no, there's a twist. That's not where we are. No, they're good people because they're trying yeah. to, to prove Emmett Vale a villain. And I, I got real Lois Lane vibes from this Martha Kent. Yeah. And you know how girls want to marry their fathers and boys want to mar marry their mothers. And you can yeah, find yeah. some, you know, if you look, you can often find in a relation, like in a couple, the significant other has traits similar to the beloved parent. Yeah. That the person yeah, has bought, you know, you, you imprint on your mother and that's going to have ramifications that you don't even realize. You associate love with certain traits with your your mother you know ho hopefully and then that translates in your romantic life later as creepy yeah. as that sounds <laughs> i mean it's often true is this an episode of lonely hearts no I, I mean you know it feels but like yes yes yeah i do so, i do understand and 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 we really do see a bit of of lois lane i mean she has serious lois lane vibes absolutely yeah i'm i'm with scratches the villain i mean she, she fights back both her and pa kent Yes, needed Superman because I don't think they were expecting giant robots and that kind of stuff. No. But at the same time, they're not completely helpless. You know, I, I Oh no. I like that because they're the people that are gonna, you know, in another reality, let's say they're exactly the same as the young Monpa Kent, uh, except in their reality they never got to raise a child. But these are the people who raised Clark Kent. And yep. they raised them to fight for what was right, to look into things, to question things, to not give up. So even before he had powers, he was given these values. And you can see them here in the parents when they were young. So I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why I really dug this this comic. I mean, you, you get all of this from some like four pages we do see Superman fighting giant robots, and that's the other thing I really did like. And then we go back to the time stream and everything, and, and everything disappears. But this was a great time-traveling alternate reality comic. I really enjoyed it. As good as it gets in this episode, I think. <laughs> in, in this episode, yes, for sure. The action is quite strong. Jackson Geis is a good 
handle on, you know, it, like it's dynamic when Superman yes. crashes into a, a grain silo or when he <laughs> tackles Starro. And th- these are like, they're, they're like your power moments. They're, they're fun yeah. to look at. Even when he gets sucked into the time stream, even that little thing, the special effects really make us th- like what is happening to Superman. He's going backwards, but he's kind of resisting, but he can't resist. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of, of action. The art is great. The The camera shots are great. Also, I'm a big fan of how we're telling the story just v- visually. I mean, it's a, it's the comic is better than the <laughs> than the cover would suggest. Yeah, no, I agree with that. The art as like with the cameras with the soldiers inside the helicopter, or yeah. uh, or just like what the characters are doing. So instead of just being talking heads and just standing there, there's stuff happening. You can tell there's like there's a lot of activity at the office. Uh, Lois is eating a cornetto. Like these little details add a lot to the scenes and make it feel more cinematic, more like we're in a scene with them. This is a a very, very good 90s comic, even though Jimmy Olsen has this non-existent T-shirt and, you know, Clark has a ponytail. This is a good comic, even for any time. Yeah, I I do question some of the motivations. I mean, that Superman flies off the handle, again, I've been questioning this since the beginning, and especially in Zero Hour itself. Time is coming apart, but people are focusing on things that won't matter in a a few minutes, kind of thing. So if Perry just disappeared and he's slightly older than Mind Pocket, then flying to Kansas is like, well, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? How are you going to prevent your parents from disappearing as well? I think that's done, but he has to do it. Maybe a final goodbye, I don't know. But similarly, Lois says, well, I'm a reporter, so I'm going to report on this. To whom? (laughs) And she's, you know, she's taping for posterity, and posterity does not exist if the timeline is erased. So (laughs) there's a big question as to why they're doing this other than to narrate the story, other than to motivate the story. But it's called hope. They have hope. Okay, Bas, you you convinced me. (laughs) (laughs) Two words. It's hope. Any uh, other thoughts on this issue before we move into the... uh, the, um, I, I don't know what to call the, the, the rest of the episode. You know what? In this issue, there's a um, couple of ads in here that I really enjoyed. A movie I need to see now. Blank Man? Uh, Damon, Way- Damon Wayans and Blank Man. I haven't seen that. So I guess I'm going to be seeing that very soon. And I haven't played the uh, virtual BART video game for the Super NES and the Genesis. So I'll be uh, looking into those. Um, <laughs> Live your 90s, best. Live your 90s. We'll take a small probable break. When we come back, we're talking about Team Titans. Hold on to your seats. (laughs) Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action film face off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action film face off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets. Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. 
technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it. We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our Video Dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see The Blood Fly. I just said that. We're back uh, to talk about Team Titans. We've talked about Team Titans. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they had that crucial appearance of monarchs setting things into motion in their issue number 20. And what we know, we know they're a terrorist cell from the future. They've come back in time to stop Lord Chaos from being born. Uh, he's their, the ruler in their potential future. So they've come back to the present. They were sent by a secret leader who was supposed to be revealed to be the former Titan, Danny Chase. Or the actually current Titan at this point, <laughs> Danny Chase. But when the series was about to be canceled and really undone by Zero Hour, the writers were forced to make it Monarch instead. And I, I, Hawk had been a Titan, so there's a link. And because he's a villain, instead of a, like a secret hero leader, his plot was to turn them into sleeper assassins as he became extant or something. And uh, we already saw their last true appearance in Zero Hour. But let's look at their series' last Issue, Team Titans number 24. Oh, Ooh. man. By Jeffrey Jensen, Phil Jimenez, Nigel Tully, Andrew Peepoy, Russ Sever, and Dan Davis. It's called All Good Things, which uh, I understand all good things come to an end, but I'm not sure this title fits best. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, the good things begin in this, uh, in this thing. Well, you know what? It, it kind of gives us, uh, I don't know where to... Fun to read, but what we really wanted to know was what was Extent's plan for the the Titans. We get that in two pages at the beginning and one page at the end. All the rest is basically filler. That's really not a good way to end your series. Well, I don't know. If you if you were into the Team Titans, maybe it means more. Maybe, but you know this wasn't. I mean, I, I never read Team Titans. Okay, I never, I never cared for Team Titans. I was a big Teen Titan fan, but Team Titan, never really, not my thing. Just the fact that they're naming everybody every time somebody talks to somebody else, you know, or they name themselves. Like, I think it's time for Bumblebee and Harold, you know, to get to escape from this place. And I'm like, yeah, well, if, if this was popular, you don't have to name everybody. But they still, they're still naming everybody just to make sure you understand who 
they are and if they're on the team and stuff like that. If I know? understand what's going on, and I, I'm not sure I do, but there's like the Team Titans that are, like if you look at their who's who entry, you know, who the Team Titans are. And then there's a bunch of Team Titans from the future that came in with issue tw- 19. Uh-huh. And these are all the, the characters that, like half of them don't even have entries on the DC wiki, basically. <laughs> and then there are some Titans West characters, in, like Bumblebee and Harold. There's like uh-huh. people that are associated with the Titans since the 70s are Titans West, I think. And so they're not members of the team, but they're present in the West Coast action that we see. Yeah. So there's really like a ton of characters in here and you don't know... 80% of them is basically. And combine that to probably the worst art I've seen in a comic book. Because the art is, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It kind of feels like it's trying to be, you know, simple cartoony. But then again, it's not even that. Well, I don't think it's the worst I've ever seen. I, it, it changes a lot because it's, there are a number of artists that worked on it. So in other words, it's a rush job by different people. At one point, Aqualad has like 19 fingers on his hand. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> they do look like claws or something. Half the time I'm wondering what the hell is going on. Are these sketches? <laughs> I mean, Yeah, it's not the uh, best. It's not. Yeah. It's really not. Here's the synopsis. God have mercy on my soul. This all takes oh. place prior to the Zero Hour event, actually. So we might have done it earlier. As we have Monarch in the shadows looking at his 600 Team Titan temporal clones ready for action. Cut to a cabin in the woods. A family is confounded to see their 11-year-old son dead for a year, return and sit at the table. The dad can't accept the boy is from an alternate timeline, but can't get more answers before two mammoths crash through the cabin. The family is saved by Mal... Harold and Bumblebee. Nevertheless, the family is from the past and reject their African-American guardian angels. To Mal and Bumblebee, it's 1994, and their adopted town of Seattle is being overrun by dinosaurs, mammoths, and pioneers. Their team also includes the squad of anime heroes from the Team Titan future called Metallic, and a generic-looking dude called Hero X, who soon gets eaten by a pterodactyl. The members of Metallic wonder if they caused a temporal aberration by traveling through time. Cut to New York, where activists are protesting things happening in different time frames. And more Team Titans, uh, we don't know, <laughs> are dealing with it, including Prester John and Lapidus. Red Wing, now a more bird-like creature called Bird of Prey, stops some assassins who are possibly coming for dignitaries as varied as Nelson Mandela, Winston Churchill, and Napoleon Bonaparte. Mirage and Kilowatt knock out a T-Rex and race after a second one that ran into a 1970s disco. Kilowatt takes a moment to apologize for offending Mirage at some earlier point, like that's a priority, and she reveals she's pregnant with his baby. And then Elliot Ness shows up to raid the place, and everyone notices, finally, the indoor T-Rex. I'm just, like, at the halfway point. This is, like, half of the comic. Uh, so it goes on. Cut to Sananhelopolis, a future city floating in the Pacific where L.A. and San Francisco used to be. Knight Rider, the vampire titan, a.k.a. Dagon, because it's not confusing enough. that You know, the character has a, changed his name since issue one. And Hellebore, a member of the Team Titans with a skull face and needle fingers are fighting dinosaurs there. Elsewhere in California, Flamebird, 
and a disease-giving hero called Murder Master, great hero name, are fighting conquistadors and such. In nearby Compton, battalion and enforcer save people from a fire started in an oil refinery. Off the coast, uh, in a submarine, Tara and Wonder Boy try to save an underwater mining colony with the help of other members I've never heard of, like Green, Shuckadelica, and the Human Mystery. Aqualad is there, too, to fight scaly Tritonian warriors from 10,000 years ago. They succeed, but the Earth telepathically tells Terra that the Titans are pawns in someone's game. Cut back to Monarch, then, gloating about the Titans' true destiny as his temporal army. And then this is all, in Zero Hour, we've seen how there were like hundreds of team Titans hypnotized or mind-controlled by Monarch or Extant. Keeping the, the the heroes busy or something. So uh, this is uh, Team Titans number 24. Amusingly, perhaps, there's a next issue blurb at the end of the uh, letters column that makes like there is another issue. There's a giggle, like an editorial giggle that this is just a joke. Zero hour humor. So um, yeah, very funny. So what did you think? I mean, you've already said that you thought this was a lot of filler, but does the filling taste good? The fluff is, it's not that bad. I mean, there's a lot of action. It's its there, but they're giving us a bunch of characters that we do not care about, we will not care about, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the comment. They're all going to be working for, for extent, and they're all going to be, you know, beaten. So we don't really care for them that much. You know, I like Bumblebee because she's in the Titans uh, cartoon. But other than that, all the others with the skulls and the stuff and the flames and the I really don't care. I really don't care. And, and whatever they do, it's I mean, it's entertaining, but to no avail. It's it's fluff. Yeah. Well, I've always liked Flamebird. I, I care more about the, the three Titans West in here than I do the actual team Titans. If we were to, like, I'm asking this knowing what's coming up, okay? But okay. if we were to save a couple of team Titans, yeah, like, let's say they're going to be erased from history, you know, their future will no longer exist. and I need to choose some of them to survive. Two of them to survive. That would be Changeling and Aqualad. No, Changeling's not in this. <laughs> yes, he is. No, he's in He's in damage. He's not even in no. here. Changeling is oh. an actual new Titan. So okay, try again. You know, you know why <laughs> I thought he was in here because there's a bunch Changeling green dinosaurs in here, and I was I was convinced that this was at least one of them was Changeling yeah. at one point. The cover has one. The cover has a, like a small T Rex. Yeah, and some ugly T Rexes along the uh, way. Yeah, the T Rexes aren't like the best no. drawings. No. no, especially that we had this wonderful movie called Jurassic Park back then. <laughs> 94. I mean, somebody yeah. could have, somebody could have copied. <laughs> I mean, just quickly, just copy. Yeah. Okay. So, so who you said Changeling, Changeling's not in here. He's not a team Titan. Okay. Who else did you say? I would say, uh, that's kind of hard now. Cause I was, I w I'm going to say Aqualad. Aqualad is also not a team Titan. He just appears in this issue. So you can't oh, have man. him either. Okay, who can I have? Terra? Can I have Terra? You can have Terra. Terra and Flamebird. Okay, Flamebird is not a Team Titan. See, that's it. Oh, my All God. All the good characters, and that includes Terra, you know. Like, Terra was a character in the Prime timeline, and this is like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Terra 2 or something? It's Terra in the future? A different Terra? So <laughs> even even when you Terra. pick Terra, that's a character that we already knew that has, like, a backstory, you know? Oh, so. My. 
Yeah, any team titan you're going to choose, whether it's Battalion or Mirage or Kilowatt or, you know, uh, or the, the vampire guy, Knight Rider, nobody cares about these guys. And the only ones you can, you wanted to, like, say, okay, let's, let's make sure they're safe from zero hour, they're all characters with a prior history. So. All right. I'm still, I'm still playing. <laughs> so I'm choosing Bird of Prey. Okay. The character that never looks the same in any panel in this comic book. <laughs> yeah, Red Wing. The former Red Wing. And then Terra. We'll yeah. see if that pans out. Okay. I want to draw attention to Monarch in this on okay. page one. Where they still keep him in shadow. Like, we're not supposed to know who he is. But it's like, yeah, at this point, we know. You know, it's been revealed that he's Monarch. I don't know why he doesn't, like, turn on the lights. Anyway. <laughs> Saving on electricity. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got to revive 600 temporal clones. Uh, but, <laughs> but like he says of the Team Titans backstory, which he invented, you know, it's like he, this is an elaborate hoax that he perpetrated so that they believed that when they gave, went back in time, it was for the right reasons, but really it's all part of his plot. And he says of this backstory, uh, that is confusing, contrived, convoluted, and that such a history would never sell as fiction. That is some stellar, self-deprecating <laughs> Oof, prose yeah, really, yeah. from the writers of this comic. I mean, they've just, what is actually absurd is, like the comic itself is a Terminator riff. You know, let's go back in time and prevent Donna Troy from having a kid that's going to become a supervillain. Yeah. And once they manage that, well, they sort of got to live in our time. Because they're stuck here. That's an okay premise. Yeah. yeah. What is actually convoluted and ridiculous is what they force the writers to do, which was put Monarch in there and tie it all into Zero Hour. So I think they're responding to that. But it does sound like, like what's absurd is that the backstory is actually fake. while the backstory itself is fine. But what they have Monarch say is like a Superboy Prime kind of thing where he comments on the comic being convoluted. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. Why, uh, you know, trashing their own work? It's huh, not a great yeah. way to end your issue either. You know, it's like you're saying, like to the people who stuck with it, who were interested or invested, you're telling them, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just read two years worth of trash. I'm sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Our bad. Yeah. Our bad. Yeah. I didn't see it that way when I read it, but now that you, you mention it, I mean, it does really seem self-deprecating. Yeah. And I... Like, of course, if I'd read 19 through, we read issue 20, but if I'd yeah. read 19 through 24 and seen all of these new guys come back from the f future, maybe there's something in there that, like, I could have cared about some of the characters or been intrigued at least uh, by some of them. Because here they're just, like, sketches. We we don't know who they are. Like, I have, like, Wonder Boy, even the costume seems to be, like, a legacy hero from... There's a quality comics here. I think it's quality. It's not quality. It's Fawcett. One of these. Wonder Boy was one of the strips in the Golden Age. But DC never did anything with it. So it, are all of the characters kind of supposed to be riffs on past heroes or something? Or unknown? Like, there, there's no... Yeah, hard to say. Yeah, that one surely hard is. In a way, it's fun the way they use it. The the I mean, the temporal anomalies. You know, when they're just like everything is mixed up together, which is not how it was used in most books, but in some books. So that's an interesting. It's fun to see like all the mishmash. But uh, the fact that we're switching, you know, from the West Coast to the East Coast into different sub teams means there can't be like a really coherent story. And I mean, I, I can't even interpret the T Rex in a disco element like how did the t-rex walk into the nightclub 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I guess he appeared there. Well, they say, let's go get the other one. He went into that building. It's like, oh my God. first of all, my bouncer's not doing their job. <laughs> but, but more than that, it's like you see the door and there's no way a T-Rex can fit in that door. And then they have a chat on the dance floor about the pregnancy and all of this stuff that's not going to be important because, you know, unless these two characters survived at zero hour, which their days are numbered, they're yeah. not supposed to. Suddenly the T-Rex is there. It's like he was there all along <laughs> dancing to ABBA or something. I, what, what is happening? So a lot of this is <laughs> ill-conceived and because we're rushing through, like I like Battalion trying to save some kids and, I, you know, there's like underwater action yeah, yeah. and all of this stuff. But it's hard to follow because there's so many things and so many characters. And we're like, really, this is your last issue. Let's service the core six or seven Team Titan characters. It's their goodbye for many of them. So let's just focus on that. And the fact that Monarch is manipulating things, that's your zero hour tie-in. None of these time anomalies, none of this Titans West, none of this Aqualad stuff, like all of that stuff. It's like you're, you're saying this is our last issue and even we don't care about our characters. I don't think they did. I don't because I mean, they're not putting them in a coherent, in a well-structured story. Characters are just pieces of something if it's not in a good story. And this is all over the place. Coming back to who I would say, I'd say Battalion. <laughs> I forgot about Battalion. Love that red-headed monster. Okay. Love him. Yeah, he's a big troll. Okay, well, I, I wish your characters luck. I know the answer, of course, oh, well. and we're just going to see yeah. that in zero month. We'll take another promo break because I think I need the rest. Oh, yeah. And when we come back, we're going to talk about damage and the new Titans. All in one go. Stick around. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission, to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Gimme That Star Trek, a new episode every month, only at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. Time to bring the damage. <laughs> and we're back with that. Yeah, damage. And uh, this co-stars the new Titans who he was about to join. Spoiler. And uh, you'll note the Titans didn't get a zero-hour tie-in. Ooh, Just yeah. like that time in Invasion. Marv Wolfman is still writing this stuff. But for someone who forced people to tie into Crisis on Infinite Earths for a whole year, <laughs> I, I, I find like, really, dude, you're not much of a team player. I, I don't know, but it's like we've only covered two, of course. We haven't covered every crossover. But two crossovers, five years apart, the new Titans don't have a tie-in issue. What gives? <laughs> well, you know what? I think uh, it's fine for other people's babies to be in the crossover. Just not yeah, his. Well, well, where were Damage and the new Titans in 1994? That's a question we need to answer. A very early days for Damage himself, a teenage hero who develops mysterious explosive powers after moving to Atlanta. Uh, the driving force for the series early on was the question of his ancestry and finding whose legacy he actually was. They floated a number of possibilities, 
Though on the face of it, DC was kind of like reviving various quality comics IPs at this time, like The Ray and Black Condor. So many, including myself, thought Damage was simply the new human bomb. And the human bomb might have been his ancestor. As a JSA fan... Uh, you actually know who Damage became or who who Damage was oh, yeah. related to. But at this point, it's still a big mystery. It would have been a good guess, though, the human body. I, I think so. Here they're floating. We'll see who they're floating as a, a possibility in the issue itself. And uh, eventually, I mean, this is like a uh, 25-year-old spoiler, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, Damage has since become a member of the JSA who dresses up like the Al Pratt Adam, so... Well, you pretty much said it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, but it, it took like at least a year for us to find out the actual... I think there was like a very slow-paced mystery going on there. So the issue also stars the New Titans, and uh, like I said, no, still not participating. Even though the Titans were going through a membership upheaval, just like the Outsiders, and the Outsiders used it to like fuel... The, uh, the, the the breakup of the team. Zero Hour could have been thrown into that. I don't see why not. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Arsenal had made a deal with the U.S. government to, to get financed and to work for them, and it split the team apart. They're still working together in this issue. It's supposed to be like the last hurrah. Uh, we've got Arsenal and the team, Changeling, here he is, Red Star, Panther, Phantasm, the previously mentioned Danny Chase, and Wildebeest. Normally, Starfire was also in the team, I guess. She's the one that said, I quit for reals, because she's not here. Yeah. yeah. Let's look at that synopsis. Damage number six by Tom Joyner, Bill Merriman, and Don Hillsman. It's called The Burning of Atlanta. Uh, the Titans have been called to Atlanta by Georgia's governor to stop damage, as his fighting with bad guys has caused a lot of damage. Also present is Iron Monroe, one of the young All-Stars, now an old All-Star, and Wildheart, who's kind of Damage's partner in these early stories. On the side of bad, we have Steelhawk, out to prove himself by capturing Monroe. While Steelhawk escapes, Damage explains he's been after a villain called Troll, and he's just trying to do the superhero thing. Iron Monroe vouches for him, and they all team up. But Steelhawk shows up holding Changeling and Wildebeest, who he's defeated, holding them hostage, demanding they surrender Monroe. Monroe surrenders, but attacks when he gets close, and he and Damage try to punch Steelhawk into submission. But Damage is so raw, he's easily thrown back, he doesn't really have the chops yet. Arsenal wonders if he could be trained. Phantasm senses a bond between... Either Damage and Iron Monroe, Iron Monroe and Steelhawk, Steelhawk and Damage. There's a bond between them, a bond of blood. On the rooftop, a fight rages between the heroes and Steelhawk. On the street, Red Star and Wildheart are looking for Troll. That won't do anything. As Damage and Steelhawk charge one another, time goes in reverse for a moment. And they find themselves in a white bubble. The Titans can't get through. The three men in the bubble see Damage's origin play out. And they meet the Phantom Lady, who Iron Monroe and Steelhawk both seem to know. Outside, the Titans just give up and break up. It was their last shot, and it's a bust. I mean, they just, I don't know, they just leave the scene. <laughs> Inside the bubble, Iron Monroe and Phantom Lady embrace. She's apparently from 1964 and acknowledges that Damage is their son. Then Baron Blitzkrieg <gasps> shows up with a pack of dogs, and he has plans for the child she carries. He takes off with the Phantom Lady. Steelhawk flies after them, and they all disappear into the white, and now damage does too. That ending is just like kind of a 
they don't even go to white pages. It's just like, hey, what's going on? And he starts disappearing, but it's a very small panel. So it's like, it feels like the story just stops. Yeah. I don't think that's a very good ending. Uh, what did you think of no. this comic, Bass? There's a lot to unpack. I mean, there's a lot to take in. I didn't, I mean, I know damage. I didn't know he had a comic book. Of course, the Phantom Lady Monroe thing kind of took me aback a bit. I was like, what? what's going on here? And I still don't understand what the white bubble was. Zero hour. I know it's zero hour, <laughs> but why would it be in a bubble form here? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was glad to see Phantom Lady and uh, and Baron Blitzkrieg. I mean, they're, they're always nice to see in a in a comic book, but it was just a bit once again all over the place. Like to bring in the new Titans, it's supposed to set up the fact that Damage will join them, that Arsenal will offer him a place on the team. Or the team that he builds yeah. from the ashes of this one. But at the same time, it's like, well, in the last issue, I think it's like 113 or 114 or something like that, of New Titans, the team breaks up. I was like, there's no way the actual breakup is written by different people. Like a different writer is going to write the breakup of the, of the Titans in some other comic. So it's like there's a contrived element where the, oh, let's do just one last mission to see if maybe we still like each other. <laughs> Yeah. And they really, it's a half-hearted mission. They're going after a hero instead of a villain. And so once they get there, it's like it's kind of a confused situation. And at the end, since they don't catch Troll, because it's not their villain to catch. You know, he escapes, of course. And they're just like they're hanging around a bubble. It's not a long time. It's not like hours later they're going, well, we can't pierce this bubble. They just leave. <laughs> they, just, just, they just take off. They just quit. Just like, well, let's just all go home, eat our separate ways. The new Titans, <laughs> you know, really does deserve to be disbanded. Oh, okay. I just love the way Phantasm says, <laughs> yes, it is time for us to part ways now. <laughs> Man, a few words. Uh, to explain maybe the Phantom Lady thing, I, I think probably this is a red herring where the son of Iron Monroe and Phantom Lady is Steelhawk. The blood the blood bond isn't with damage, it's with Steelhawk. Uh, when she says, oh, it's our son, and says, yes, but maybe Iron Monroe thinks it's damage, or maybe Iron Monroe knows it's Steelhawk, but it's Steelhawk that runs up, he knows who Phantom Lady is, he races after her, like, mom! You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, so I think Steelhawk, whoever that character is, because that, again, is like a character that the DC Wiki doesn't have an entry for this. <laughs> you know, like, there's an entry, but it, it's a stub, you know, nobody wrote anything. <laughs> That's so uh, weird. So, like a no-name, basically. So, this is all just a red herring as we continue to strike people off the list of potential grandfathers for damage. I think that's the, the function of that. But, like, Iron Monroe, I, I think Iron Monroe will turn out to be, like, the grandfather of the female Manhunter's son or something. So, he'll okay. get his legacy yet, uh, is what I'm saying. Just bringing in the new Titans here just makes it more confused because you got to service a bunch of different characters. Now, that's fine because Damage isn't losing his series. It's not like the end for Damage. So they're like guest stars. And it yeah. gives us a chance to, to see them in the Zero Hour context because, again, their series never did that. I do not like the forms they let Changeling take in the 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was on his way to become... Uh, was this before or after Kingdom Come? <laughs> Because he, no, well, he becomes menagerie, you know, in the kingdom come universe. So he becomes 
everything except actual animals. You know, he becomes dragons and other mythical creatures. Kind of looks like he's already a step in into that, you know, right now. Yeah, I just feel like it's a dilution of um, his concept. It's well, just yeah. like there's like this green gremlin all the time on the page. And it's, it's, uh, uh, that's like Chameleon Boy's thing, like alien animals or something. Let yeah. me just check Kingdom Come. And the one time we actually see Changeling or Beast Boy, he's knocked out. And the other time he has his face in his hands. I, I mean, we don't really see him very well or often. He's all either knocked out or holding his face. Kind of a sad thing. Maybe Maybe Changeling wasn't that popular back then? Well, I think the new Titans were kind of on their way out as far as, I mean, look at this team. Like, some people liked them. I know our friend Shag liked this era of the Titans, but... Really? Um, well... Well, I used to like He'll Shag. say anything to get attention. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> he'll stand outside with a boombox. He'll say anything. <laughs> uh, Kingdom Come was two years later, to answer that point. Okay. Like, a lot of these characters are kind of a joke. Like, when they beat Wildebeest, he comes back with, like, like a little baby Wildebeest. Yeah, it's yeah. like Wildebeest, when you defeat him, becomes a little child. Okay. <laughs> the, you know, Phantasm was maybe still a secret as to who he actually was, but he actually was Danny Chase, the most reviled titan since Jericho. So, you, got, yeah. you know, Panther was kind of a joke. Panther is a despicable character, always, like, so angry and always, like, throwing shit around. Uh, yeah. I don't like her dialogue. I mean, here. I'm not I'm not saying that in her book she was that extreme. But she's most famous for getting her head knocked off by Superboy Prime in Infinite Crisis. The The rolling yeah. head of Panther was a meme for a while, which is terrible. So it's not her fault. Like, these Titans are not, like, the super well, like, you know, Red Star is... Defected from Russia, I guess, and he's part of the team. And Arsenal as the leader, I, we don't see him do much here. You know, it's not like like if it was Robin or something, like Nightwing. Yeah, it's not even speedy Arsenal. This is Captain Boomerang looking Yeah, Arsenal. yeah, he's got a boomerang on his chest. <laughs> yeah, he has this little yeah. teensy-weensy crossbow on his arm yeah. and pockets and pouches and... I mean, when your team is at that point where they've got to break up and from the ashes will be born a new configuration of the team, that says something. That says, okay, yeah. we, like, we've hit the wall with these particular characters and we need to make some changes, you know? Yeah. I like to call that that wall the outsider's wall. <laughs> That's when you hit the outsider's wall where nobody cares about your character. I, uh, yeah. I feel like like the first time in my uh, experience where, you know, as, as a comic book reader, when I saw that happen was uh, the Just League of America annual where Aquaman disbands the team, famously, and it becomes Justice League Detroit. So it went from yeah. all the big stars of DC, you know, editors were selfishly keeping them away. From, you couldn't do anything with the characters or something. <laughs> they added to the team characters like Gypsy and Vibe and, and Steel, and it turned the, the team into a punchline for, for many decades. And only now are people yeah. like Shag saying, no, it was good after all. <laughs> well, it's because all these characters uh, made it into the Flash show and the CW shows. I mean, they're better in the TV shows than they were in the comic books. I never thought Vibe was cool until, you know, he was yeah, Cisco. Yeah. You know, there's no bad character, but if the book isn't selling, then let's reconfigure the team. And I think we're a, f a long ways away from the new Teen Titans that were popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Don't forget, we're reading everything that's leading into a major crisis. So they're going to, they're just going to kill off a bunch of people. I, I don't know if any of these Teen Titans die or anything, but we'll see with issue zero because we will cover that. Issue zero will yeah. have a new team, but I believe Arsenal is still in it. So yeah, yeah well, he's going to bring a new team together. And we'll see if that like ushers a new era for the book is what hopefully that's what DC wants. It's like, let's, you know, reconfigure the universe a little bit and relaunch books with number zero and people will pick up the zero issue to see what's different. And maybe this will create a, you know, buzz for a new version of the outsiders, a new version of the Teen Titans, a new version of the Justice League. Absolutely. I mean, the plan is good. (laughs) It's a good plan. Yes, it just depends on execution. Well, it all depends on execution. I mean, like this, this book. I, I don't know if Damage was, no, Damage wasn't a book that lasted all that long. I remember reading like the first few issues, maybe. Like DC was always chasing, I think from Firestorm on, DC was kind of chasing a Marvelized version of their characters. Yeah. Damage feels very much like a Marvel character. He's in a real city, Atlanta. He's, uh, Uh, He's like a young hero with problems, you know, that kind of stuff. So it kind of felt like that. And I I don't think I was necessarily into it uh, at the time. I don't remember reading much of it. But, you know, it's like you're reading this. In the writing, there's stuff like somebody says, uh, like Arsenal says, oh, let's attack Steelhawk while he's just used his big weapon. So he he probably needs to recharge. And then Steelhawk says... Oh yeah, you're you're pretty smart, Arsenal. It's true. I got to recharge. I can't use it right away. It's like, yeah, way to go, stupid villain. Why, why would you confirm your weakness? So so it's yeah. like writing like that that just like says, well, okay, maybe this wasn't the be all and end all of all comic book series. I'm just grateful that Damage, because I mean, this is really at the beginning of Damage's superhero career. He he's gonna have quite the story arc. I mean, he's gonna be wearing a mask a very long time because you know his he's gonna be disfigured and and and, and everything. I mean, this is a great character. So I, well, good character. I like him. Again, no bad characters. It's just what you do with yeah. them. And if damage started at a point where maybe he didn't have much traction, I mean, that's not much of a costume, frankly. That's not much of a look. And then eventually is absorbed into the new JSA and actually learns what his legacy in and leans into it, then he becomes more interesting and he gets better writers and better artists working on him. And suddenly he's a pretty cool character. So yeah, it's interesting because I think for a while he'd been like in between damage and the JSA. He was pretty much forgotten, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was one of the interesting characters. He was one of those characters that that was intriguing. He was new, was new blood. He had issues. He was angry. I'm glad he kind of grew into something else and, and we still see him now. So, yeah. All right. We'll take a last, one last break. Yeah. When we come back, Letters Lost in Time. Letters Lost in Time. And action. It's Fade Out. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests. Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back with Letters Lost in Time! Letters Lost in Time! Actually, excerpts from your comments on our coverage of Zero Hour Number One. 
Let's start with Gus Casals. Says, to tell the truth, I remember being underwhelmed at the time, but now it's actually painful to reread. I couldn't really put my finger on it, on what was amiss in addition to the very poor writing, and you nailed it on the rushed, almost incomplete, big panel art. Jurgens and Ordway were at the time working on Superman and elsewhere, Power of Shazam maybe, but this should have been big enough to give them the time off to do a better job. That's an opinion. Here's Diablo Franks. He has the, the, the hard questions. I love Frank. And it's worth going to the comment section at firewaterpodcast.com to read the entire thing because he goes through page by page, basically, like a running yeah. commentary. Yeah, hard questions. Is this miniseries basically a surprisingly coherent Mad Libs of the 1994 DC Comics editorial presentation? <laughs> Why is extant? Like, why would you make this confusing hodgepodge fake antagonist when it would have been clearer to just use Monarch as a red herring? If Hal Jordan is unleashing entropy to swallow all of space and time, why not just kill extant to ensure that the one person best positioned to mess up the plan doesn't? Nothing about Emerald Twilight made sense, especially Hal beating the entire core by himself, but why would absorbing the Owen central power battery bestow mastery of time travel? Besides his having the power to, to do so, being nonsensical, why would Hal wipe out space-time from both ends when his goal is to fix an incident that happened five minutes ago? If this was a power the Guardians of the Universe possessed, why not stop Krona from unleashing entropy in the first place? <laughs> He's got other questions, but these are like the main ones, and there is no answer. They're very good questions. He also says the greatest impact of this miniseries was the first Ground Zero reboot of the Legion after over 40 years of continuity. If this title had any integrity, they would have been the stars rather than the footnote. Yeah. Some yeah. speculation as to the layman called Donovan. So there was, you know, there was one called Chrysing or something, which was an, an inker at DC Comics. Why was the other character called Donovan? Or I, I might have mentioned Season of the Witch, you know, Donovan the Singer. Maybe Season of the Witch since mm -hmm. they were wizards. But Chris Franklin evokes the singer's other genre hit, Sunshine Superman, uh, which also mentions Green Lantern in it. So maybe that's a clue. Diablo mm -hmm. Frank references assistant editor Hope Donovan. But I, she didn't work on the book, and I don't. I don't even know if she worked at DC. I, I can't. Uh, I couldn't. Like I did quick research, and and you know she's worked at Viz Comics, and but I don't see what the connection might be with Zero Hour. So it's still a mystery. Okay. Bradley Null says Hal as Parallax, an idea I think is brilliant. Being this badly done was such a headache. Most either liked it or didn't. I remember a lot of frustration linked to the issue. We have Michael Bailey. Let's talk about that moment where Hal Jordan becomes Parallax. Michael Bailey says the revelation that the big bad of this series being Hal Jordan was one of those things I remember thinking was really cool back in 1994. I had been reading the Kyle Green Lantern series for a few months and had yet to read Emerald Twilight, so Hal being evil was something I knew about but didn't know how it happened yet. I see the faults of this revelation, but... Part of me still thinks it's cool. The other memory, the ending of this issue stirs, is from my first summer here in Georgia. It was a weird time, and the people I hung out with were... Okay, some of them were fine one-on-one, -on -one, but a group... Toxic masculinity doesn't even begin to describe it. Okay. One of the favorite things the group <laughs> would do when it came to razzing me was to make fun of Superman, which didn't get much of a rise out of me, but they thought it was hilarious. One of the guys loved to mention this issue because Superman got sucker punched. Glad that social dynamic fell apart late in the summer. Well, that's nice. At least they read the comic book. They knew that he got sucker punched. They knew it. On this moment, Chris says, Chris Franklin says, I remember being so excited by the end of the issue. I had wrongly guessed the big bad in the cape 
that was shown completely blacked out in a zero-hour preview giveaway may have been the Earth 2 Superman. Now, I didn't want it to be him because I didn't want him to be the villain. I guess I was just about 10 years ahead of myself, and that didn't work out well for anyone. Hell being the baddie interested me because I thought they may use this to redeem what had happened to him in Emerald Twilight, which I only knew by reputation because I refused to read it. I read about its coming in a Comic Buyer's Guide article and was flabbergasted. Why not just kill Hal off if you want a new lantern? Let him die a hero like Barry Allen. Of course, I was a few events ahead of myself with a redemption arc for Hal, too. And he also says, interestingly, this comic was often overlooked in DC Secret Files when they would list Jack Knight's first appearance. They always listed it as Starman number zero, but that's clearly not the case. It reminds me that Cindy and I really need to get back to some Starman coverage at some point, and there are plans in the works. So people who are fans of Supermates and love the Starman stuff, it may be coming back. Yeah. Paul Hicks says this series is limping to the finish line. As much as I love Jack Knight, Starman, this is a terrible comic. Is the baby birth stuff the sort of writing that comics gators long for? (laughs) To that point, David A. Gutierrez says to two power girl and her friends, the baby's birth is important. Impending Armageddon or not. I wish your hearts could grow as they are clearly three sizes too small. (laughs) Uh, Again, I think best hit it today. It's they have hope. That's well, that's why they, they care about yeah. the baby. Now, why would I care about the baby? <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't know. I don't. I don't do yet. We still haven't covered the Justice League issues, and maybe that'll make me care. Uh, no, hopefully, I don't I, think I can't it will. Wait, because I, I, <laughs> I can't. I was going to see because I have hope. I'll have yeah, to see. Tim Price says Siskoid caught the thing about Metron not blinking out, just like I did. But if the new gods exist outside of time and space, why does Metron care about saving the universe? Can he just go back to New Genesis and Apocalypse and continue his fun and games there? No, I think their worlds would be lost with the universe. So he would have blinked out a while ago. And why didn't they do more blinkouts right up to zero hour? Adult heroes disappearing one by one, leaving just younger and younger heroes until only Robin and then Superboy remain. Superboy would have to be the last hero left being less than a year old. And how hilarious would it have been for Extant to fade saying, "Ah, oh, crap, loving this show, but the comic, I think zero hour strikes out. Yeah, I think that would have been fun because, we, we, you know, there was that uh, one cover where it's like all young heroes on one side. Yeah. And what if it is about the younger generation stepping up because all the adult heroes have disappeared from time? Now, that's a whole different story, but that's not how they used it. Honestly, that would be an interesting one. And, uh, well, on that note, we have to mention that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page. So if you like our content, please think about ma- making, not mailing, but making a one-time or monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Get on the zero list at patreon.com slash fwpodcast, just like these fine folks did. They got on the zero list, and that means they are going to escape the cataclysmic time wave that's coming from both ends of history. Jim Ball has been saved from the primeval time of the Demons 3. David Capoon has been saved from contemporary Central City, and not by a crimson streak either. Michael Bailey has been saved from an office staffed by robots before you could actually meet the Space Ranger. And new subscriber Diablo Frank has been saved from the vanishing point where he's been waiting for millennia with nothing to do but obsess about comics. A reminder that you can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow Fire and Water's Facebook page and on Twitter. The account is FW Podcast. You can also now find the podcast on Spotify. It's been a while, but I still mention it. 
Thanks for doing this with me, Bess. As always, Christmas is behind us as the podcast flies, so you have a happy new year. Well, thanks. Thanks, and I hope you have a wonderful 2021. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, the Justice League tie-ins. <laughs>